It's hard to believe, but Easter was one week ago. Um, I, I don't know about you, but it feels like a lot longer than that. It feels like a, maybe a month ago. Uh, my girls loved the Easter egg hunt. Um, we trained them like all week for it. We put eggs all over the house. We bought them little baskets, and they were ready to go. Um, my, my wife was there with them, holding their hands, you know, ready to kind of launch them out for the Easter egg hunt. And they were, you know, getting geared up. And right when Kristen said, go to a hunt, they just dropped their baskets and ran to the slide. So it was a little bit, a little bit of a fail, but last week was awesome. It was quite the celebration. Um, again, rejoicing that Jesus is alive, that he's alive. But perhaps uh, the buzz of the holiday has worn off a bit since last week. Perhaps this week you find yourself uh, in a place of discouragement again. Maybe a place of grief over the incredibly hard year that we've had. Um, maybe feeling tired again, feeling worn out, feeling over it. You know, uh, as Christians, we aren't meant to put the ramifications of Easter back on the shelf for another year. Um, Easter, in the church calendar, is a season, a season of 50 days. And so it's not just to show that Christians like to party, even, even though we do. Um, it's really, again, to, to stress uh, the importance, the ongoing importance and power of the risen Christ for our lives. We're called to be people of the resurrection. And last week you heard Patrick preach about the love that's involved in Christ being raised from the dead. And today, we find ourselves in a story that took place one week after the original Easter. And I think it can shed some light on our own story a week after Easter 2021. And just one week after the original Easter, one of his disciples finds himself doubting all of it. Just saying, I don't know if I can believe this. I'm not sure if it's real or if it's a sham. And maybe you find yourself today, a week after Easter, in a similar place of disillusionment. My deepest desire for us today, especially if you find yourself in that place, um, is that Jesus would do for us what he did for Thomas all those years ago. Three things we're going to think about today. What belief is why we doubt, and how we believe. What belief is, why we doubt, and how we believe. And with that, let's turn to the scripture reading for this morning from John 20. Our central text for today is found in John 20, 19-31. On that evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors have been locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the God, and that by believing you may have his life that you may have life in his name. This is the word. Thanks be to God. So first, what what is belief? Uh, the word believe shows up around seven times in our in our verses this morning. And belief um, in this passage just means to think to be true, to be persuaded of, to place confidence in. So it means you're confident in it. And we'll get into Christian belief momentarily, but I want to sort of begin by leveling the field a little bit. We're all believers. All of us, watching at home or in this room, every single one of us is a believer in someone or something. For example, um, when you drive down 26, you believe, you are confident, you are persuaded of that there will be traffic. You, you may have avoided 26 for months, which you are wise if you have, because I have to take it all the time and I'm stuck all the time. Um, but you, you have confidence based on your experience, it's probably going to be traffic. If you get in your car, you're confident, you're, you're, you have, you're persuaded that your car will take you where you point it. Even if you don't have an exhaustive knowledge of how the car works, you believe that it'll take you where you want it to go. And many of you in this room, watching from home, would say that you believe in God. Even if you don't have an exhaustive knowledge of how God works or what he's up to in the world. Um, you can't prove every facet of your cosmology, and yet you believe. You're confident. Some of you believe only in science. Again, although you can't prove every aspect, every facet of your belief, you're a believer in someone or something. One author said it this way, Michael Bird says, we certainly have a choice in whom or what we will believe, but whether we will believe in someone or something is not a choice, but it's a necessity. It's simply part of what it means to be human in a world that is beyond our own mastery. If nothing else, COVID has taught us this, right? The world is beyond our mastery. This past year has been a roller coaster has it not? It has been incredibly difficult for many of you, for really for all of us in some ways. And to believe, what we're doing is we're saying, 
we're going to try to make the most sense out of the most reality. That's what belief is. That's what a belief system is, is making the most sense out of the most reality. What does that for you? And for us as Christians, we're saying it's, it's Jesus. He makes the most sense out of the most reality. Even this disordered and chaotic reality, he makes the most sense. And verse 24 tells us that most of his disciples had seen the risen Jesus, and they were persuaded that Jesus was alive. So the living, breathing Savior is who, this is what Christians believe. We believe more, but not less than, Jesus is alive today. That's Christian belief in a nutshell. And yet, Thomas doubted this. He didn't believe that Jesus was alive. And why? We're going to explore that because it's the same reason why we can doubt today as well. Uh, Thomas gets a really bad rap, but he was actually a very loyal follower of Jesus. In John chapter 11, uh, Jesus and the disciples had received word uh, that their good friend Lazarus was on his deathbed. So Lazarus was in Bethany, which was a town near Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, Jesus had been receiving lots of threats on his life. And so the disciples were trying to steer him away. Like, don't go to Bethany, Jesus. It's too dangerous. But Jesus was insisting, and Thomas said to everybody around, he said, let us go with him that we may die with him. In other words, before he was doubting Thomas, Thomas was extremely loyal follower Thomas, ready to be martyred Thomas. Again, he gets a bad rap. However, when Thomas saw his master tortured, crucified, and laid in a tomb, it decimated his faith. It shook him to the core. And he no longer believed that Jesus was alive. Look at verse 25. Perhaps you can relate to this. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. The Greek, uh, the original language for never means never, ever. He's adamant. I will never believe unless I see him in the flesh again. Place my finger in the scars. Let me ask you, what are, your, what are your conditions for belief? If you find yourself doubting today, what are your conditions for belief? What are your, unless Jesus does blank, fill it in, I will never believe. Think on that. Maybe it surfaces the mind easily. Maybe you've never really considered why belief is hard for you. Think on that for a moment. Like Thomas, we, we doubt that Jesus is alive for, for multiple reasons, and I'll just kind of throw some out. could be intellectual ones right? Dead people don't get back up. They don't. Have you ever seen a dead person get back up again? Even a great person, even a world-famous person. So we can doubt for intellectual reasons. We can, doubt, we can doubt for emotional ones, right? I was thinking about this this week. Why was it that Thomas wasn't around when the other disciples, when Jesus appeared to the other disciples? Where was he? It could be that he was processing his grief in his own way. He needed to get away and, and mourn. It could be an experiential reason. Thomas hadn't encountered Jesus as the others had, and so he doubted. And maybe your belief in Jesus has been challenged this year 
And, and maybe you find other, you see other people, you notice other people having this strong and fervent faith, but you just can't relate for experiential reasons. It could be a theological reason, right? Thomas believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one that the Old Testament had been foreshadowing for hundreds of years, that he had come to bring the kingdom of God to earth, to set them free from Roman oppression. And when Jesus died, his hopes were dashed along with his faith. So maybe it's some combination of reasons why doubt has surfaced in your heart lately or perhaps even your, maybe you've dealt with it your whole life. But hear me out. Whether you've been a believer in Jesus for years or you're just exploring the faith, doubt visits us all in different seasons and for different reasons. Visits us all. Until we see Jesus face to face, we will battle with doubt. It's part of being human. And he, here, here's another thing I want you to say. Just, or you want to, I want to say to you, what we do with our doubts matters a lot. Doubt will visit us all, but it's what we do with them. Do you go to God and his word in community with your hesitations, with your fears, with your doubts? That's a, a place for you and your faith to actually be strengthened. When you go to his word and say, God, what, what is this all about? But I trust you. I want to learn more about you. And the best place to do that is in community. It's here. To do it with other brothers and sisters. Yeah, on the way here, we were driving here around 8 o'clock, and it was so foggy. Did anybody see the fog this morning? And, uh, you know, we've driven down that road a hundred times, but it was really hard to see. Like, we knew exactly where we were going, but it was really hard to see. What community does is it helps go, hey, you know where you're going. We're in this together. You can, it's that way. He's that way. Let's open the word together. Let me pray for you. Let me love you through this doubt. But I think in our, in our sort of culture of deconstruction and deconversion stories, you, you might have heard of those. You might have, maybe you have friends that have deconverted from the faith. Oftentimes what happened was they had doubts and they didn't feel like they could trust people in the church. Maybe no one came around them to love them and help them in their, uh, to find assurance. And so how can we lift the fog for each other? How can we help push each other through it? Um, I want to encourage you to try that if you're doubting, if there's a fog over your faith today. Let's, let's walk through it. Another thing I want to say about doubt is that like a virus, doubt has symptoms. It has symptoms. It shows itself in different ways. And one of the ways it's shown up in my life over the years is in my prayers. When I pray prayers that are very small, very safe, that don't require a living, breathing, powerful God. Prayers that are typically about myself. Lord, help me get through this day. Okay, cool. Amen. Am I really trusting him? Am I really expecting God to move in areas of my life? Or have I given up on certain areas of my life or certain areas of the world, certain areas of society? Am I imploring him or have I just given up? That's a way that doubt, that's a symptom of doubt in my life and perhaps you can relate to that. 
But although we live in an era of deconversion, of skepticism, we don't have to actually settle into our doubt. We don't have to settle for doubt. Something astonishing really happened uh, to Thomas that made him turn from an ardent skeptic into a fervent worshiper of Jesus. And I want to look at that now because from his story, uh, we can learn how we can make that move too if you find yourself uh, in that place. So how we believe. Look at with me at verses 26 and 27. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus hadn't given up on Thomas, even though Thomas had given up on Jesus. And what did he do? He showed up, seemingly out of nowhere, and he met each and every condition that Thomas had for belief. Notice, though, in the text we just read that there's no indication that Thomas actually touched the scars. He said, hey, I I need to touch him or I won't believe. But there's no indication that he did, but Jesus offered it to him. I thought that was interesting. And I think um, this New Testament scholar, Leon Morris, is really on to something um, to help us see how his doubts were driven away and moved him to worship. This is what he says. It's possible that it was the words of Jesus more than anything that brought conviction. For they showed that Jesus had been perfectly aware of what Thomas had laid down as his demands. How did he arrive at this knowledge unless he had been with Thomas unseen? What was it going to take for the most unyielding skeptic to make the grandest profession of faith in the Gospels? It was the knowledge that Jesus had been with this doubter the whole time, that he hadn't left his side even in his fear, even in his doubt, even in his defeatist, fatalistic attitude. I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. I love you. I love you. And what does that mean? Tim Keller uh, points this out. He says this, Thomas was humbled by Jesus' grace and suddenly the wounds took on new meaning. He originally wanted to see the wounds as evidence of Jesus' power. Now he saw them for what they really were, evidence of Jesus' love, his sacrificial love for him. Jesus was saying, in effect, the wounds are not simply evidence that I'm alive. They are proof that I died for you, that your debt was fully paid, and that the power of death over you has been broken. Do you find yourself in a season of doubt? Look, what's transpired over this past year has been incredibly disheartening and possibly faith-stealing for some of you. But Jesus, he's never left your side. 
in a year of death, the risen one has been with you every step of the way. He sees your scars. Many of you have scars. A life filled with pain and loss. Let him show you his. And what his scars prove to you and to me is that he will heal you in time. He will restore you in time. He will rebuild us in time. But perhaps you're wondering, you know, why, why did Thomas receive this special treatment? Jesus showed up for him in the flesh. Why doesn't Jesus appear to me and meet my conditions, your conditions for belief? And that's a fair reaction. Um, but Jesus actually anticipated. Look uh, with, with me at verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is one of only two places in John where Jesus pronounces blessing. And guess who's it's, who it's for? It's for us. It's for you. Blessing is just a pronouncement of favor. God's saying, I favor you. Even doubters. Even those who are on the fence. Even those who are weary and heavy laden, he says, come. Let me pour my blessing on you. And what's his blessing on the ground? Look at verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have a life in his name. His blessing is life. Life eternal and life now. Faith in Jesus is eternally generative. It's life-giving. He wants to give you life in a year of death. He wants to pour his life into you. It's kind of interesting to think about what happened to Thomas after the story. You know, we hear, the last words we hear in John is, my Lord and my God. He worships. But what ends up happening to him? You know, chronologically, we only see his name written one more time in the New Testament, and it's in Acts chapter 1. And just before the ascension of Jesus, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he tells his disciples, including Thomas, he says, go back to Jerusalem. Before I send you out as witnesses, go back to Jerusalem to receive what? To receive power from on high. And you may know the story. They go back to this little room and fire is put on each of their heads as a symbol of the abiding presence of God in their life. For what? For assurance of salvation, certainly. But also... For mission. He says, I'm going with you. You can't run from my spirit. We heard it in the Psalms. I'm going with you on this mission to love, to restore, to build back, to heal. I'm going with you. He doesn't just give life to you. He gives life through you. 
He gives life through you. That's what doubting, that's who doubting Thomas became. He became a worshiper and a man on mission. And that's what we can become because of the Holy Spirit and because Jesus is alive. He's alive. Romans 8, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Do you believe that, Grace Church? The same spirit. I love that. So what could that look like, just to close? What could that look like in Easter 2021 and beyond, the week after? I want to close uh, with the words of a Christian theologian named Esau Macaulay. And uh, he wrote uh, in the New York Times about Easter uh, this year. Easter in a time of a pandemic. Let's read this. As we leave the tombs of quarantine, a return to normal would be a disaster unless we recognize that we are going back to a world desperately in need of healing. For me, the source of that healing is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. The work that Jesus left his followers to do includes showing compassion and forgiveness and contending for a just society. It involves the ever-present offer for all to begin again. Beloved, Jesus is alive and he is healing you in this exhausting season. And he wants to use you to, to bring his life through you to an exhausted world, to a broken people, an over it society. He wants to use you to bring his resurrection life to them. The people that only you know the people that God has put in your life to bring life to. He wants to use you. I want to close, um, but I want to give us just a few seconds, a few seconds of quiet, uh, just to ask Jesus to pinpoint areas where you may need healing today, to pinpoint areas where you may need restoration. It could be in your relationships. It could be in your relationship with him your wife, your husband, your parents, your kids, your, your neighbor. I don't know. But ask him to pinpoint areas, perhaps that you've given up on, that he says, I'm with you. I haven't given up on you. I love you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. So I want to give us some time. Let him show you his scars, the scars that he has for doubters, the scars that he has for sinners, the scars that he has for sufferers. So let's pray. And then I'll close us in a corporate prayer after a few moments of silent prayer. Let's pray this prayer together, and then we'll sing. 
Lord Jesus, risen from the dead and alive forevermore, stand in our midst today as in the upper room. Show us your hands and your side. Speak your peace to our hearts and minds and send us forth into the world as your witnesses for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Before you go, lift your heads for this good word. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance upon you and fill you with his peace. Amen. Now go in his peace.